0: Van de en dat is het rode licht van Amsterdam. Had je Amsterdam? Bam.
1: Je kunt er veel zien. Je kunt seks, drugs en rock and roll. <laughs> this Amsterdam.
0: <laughs> Thank you. Good morning, good morning, good morning. My name is Aaron Alexander and this program is called the Align Podcast. That was my uh, new Holland friend named Jum. And he is a large, white, uh, leather jacket-wearing, crew-cut sporting, ex-military personnel, uh, red-light district in Amsterdam pimp. <laughs> His job is to uh, go into the little rooms which are insane when you if you've ever been to the red light district or seen photos or whatever I guess you're not supposed to see photos Uh, really interesting women in uh, essentially little like gerbil cages on the streets which uh, behind this glass window knocking at you and uh, encouraging you to come in and receive some divine pleasure from, from them really super super interesting and Yume's job is to go in, when the girl presses the red button, uh, to go in and kick the butt of the man who is offending her and then throw him into the river. <laughs> <laughs> and he and I got along just famously. It's super, super interesting that the people that you can connect with in various situations and uh, the human connection that you're able to find with that. Really, really cool. Anyways, today's episode is about uh, anatomy trains. Thomas Myers, really, really fantastic guy. If you're into bodies or movement or anything in relation to that world, I'm sure you've heard of Tom's name before. If not, look it up. Um, He was an inspiration to me for the last like I don't know at least the last like seven years or so and uh, just expanding our perspective on the body to be more than just this linear reductionist perspective of all the parts and bicep connects to the flexor connects to the, the, the it's uh it's bigger than that the whole body is integrated together as one unit and that's kind of what we got into today um got into thousand year old philosophy from various different doctors and philosophers and such got into what the heck anatomy trains is got into what the heck pain is and how we can work with that and much much more enjoy
1: however every time you sit on that machine You are training those single muscles at the expense of the rest of your body. We look at the body as a machine. We tend to look at the body out of the paradigm that we're using at the time that we describe the body. So if you went to describe the body back in Descartes' time or back in Leonardo da Vinci's time when uh, nobody was thinking about machines, they would describe it in terms of plan. If someone has a long-term Pain in their body, they can tackle this through those neurological physiotherapists as a central nervous system event or they can attack it as a peripheral event. And uh, once again, I think if you're just on one side of that equation, you're not going to have it right Um, because some really are mediated in the nervous system and really should be with somebody who understands those pain mechanisms, can work with it on a psychomotor level. And sometimes it really is that that arch is collapsing in every time and creating a pain up the inside of the leg. And,
0: and it really is a biomechanical thing that can be dealt with from the outside. That puts it more in our domain. So, progress with the journey so far. Uh, I went up to Amsterdam, as you know, and uh, hung out there for a little bit. Amazing seeing drugs legalized like that. Um, super, super interesting. Uh, what you notice with that, is what I noticed with that is nothing really changed. If you cruise around Amsterdam and you see the streets are incredibly clean, everything is incredibly organized, and uh, people are sweet, people are smiling, and you don't see drug addicts running around rampantly like you you know, certain puritanical folks may expect to happen if you legalize substances. We can't control substances. The only way we can control substances is if we tolerate substances. So when you see that in action it's pretty cool. Um, Amsterdam itself is a little bit uh, commercialized and so I think it was a little bit silly. It was a little bit like a like a a drug, sex, fairyland kind of like theme park. Um, I think at a grander level, if we were more tolerant of substances and such, it would end up being, uh, there's some folks coming into the room here. I'm sitting in a dance studio here. So occasionally people walk in and, uh, so that's if I ever break my thoughts because someone's walking past me in the studio. Um, what was I talking about? Anyways, substances being legalized—really interesting. I think it makes a ton of sense. Um, Portugal, similar similar situation. When you talk to people about what's going on there, they don't notice a huge difference, a huge transition. Of all of a sudden, everyone's all pro using dope or whatever. It's Nothing changes except that the government ends up being able to regulate, control, provide safe places for people to use as opposed to the power going to the black market. Anyway, um, checked out the Van Gogh Museum. That was amazing, or uh, they would call it the Then ho Museum, and got quite a bit of inspiration from that man, actually. Um, because. He utilized his extreme derangement and depression as a means to create amazing art um, ended up killing himself and he shot himself in the chest with a gun when then he was 37 years old for that cutting his ear off and he had all sorts of really put himself into an insane asylum really interesting life and then these are the people that we end up kind of worshiping <laughs> for their creativity it's very very interesting and then at the same token these people that they live their life in this kind of delusion where he, he was literally seeing uh, figures and such and, you know, having these schizophrenic breaks. And these are the people that we respect the most from an artistic perspective. Then at the same time, we villainize those of us that may be exploring various different alternative methods of life and, uh, until we consider what they do to be great art. And uh, I think it's very interesting, the contrast between our, what we tolerate and then what we consider, or what we we don't tolerate, and then what we consider to be beautiful art and where it actually comes from, the origin of it. Anyhow, I am rambling on I apologize again. Um, Please be sure to check out the website, aligntherapy.com, A-L-I-G-N-therapy.com. On oh, there, you get the blog, you get hundreds of free videos on self care and functional movement. Um, check out the courses, check out the self care kit. Um, marking that discounted on Amazon because in April I'm getting a new version of it. Everything's the same except the, the roller will have screw on lids, which is going to be even more fantastic. So you can grab these up while they're here for a discounted rate. Come check it out. I would greatly appreciate that. It supports my trip. Um, I'll be traveling for the next four months, m- one month in now, and <sighs> cruising around. Um heading down to the south of france in about an hour here so i gotta hurry up and put this episode out and then from there going down th- through spain and then across over to southern europe essentially so italy and uh, going over to greece and croatia and turkey blah 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 blah. that's the plan hopefully I end up falling in love and creating a life in spain and I just stop traveling altogether <laughs> traveling is very tiring and amazing at the same time anywho um I think we might be good. Use the Amazon portal, please, on the uh, blog page and the the podcast page. That's helpful. I get a small percentage of that stuff. And I think that's it. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Subscribe, share, uh, leave those little sexy comments on iTunes. Greatly appreciate that. And here we go. Mr. Thomas Moyes. Bram, 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 bram
1: podcast.
0: First of all, Thomas Myers, thank you so much because you have been a resource for me since I went to massage school many years ago. And that was one of the first books that kind of turned me on to this whole holistic perspective on the body was Anatomy Trains. And that was like my, my Bible when I was in massage school. And then from there, I went to the Rolf Institute and, you know, continued studying this stuff. So thanks, first of all, And then for folks out there that probably don't necessarily know what anatomy trains is yet, what's, can you break down what that means exactly? Uh,
1: Yes, I can. And thank you for uh, putting me in front of your audience, Aaron. It's my pleasure. Uh, The, you have to cast your mind back to the 1970s and 80s when I started teaching anatomy for uh, rolfing people and massage people and yoga people. And there was nothing written about fascia nothing written that got the connective tissue into the whole thing. It was as we normally say in our bit something that the anatomist threw over their shoulder and so that they could look at the muscles and the idea was muscles attached to tendons which cross joints that are restricted by the bone shape and by the ligaments and that's still the predominant theory that goes on and it was it's been so evident for years it was absolutely evident in the Fascial Research Congress that I just came back from in Washington DC that is an outmoded concept Uh, for one thing muscles and tendons are part of the same fascia secondly uh, the muscles are so connected with each other that you can't analyze them from origin to insertion. Thirdly, the muscles also tense the ligaments, so the ligaments are dynamic all the way through the muscles uh, motion, all the way through the joints motion. Um, So this whole thing that we've been thinking about, oh, well, muscles move joints and ligaments restrict movement, these are outmoded concepts. Um, I would say the muscle is dead. But back in the day, there was, when I first started doing this, nobody was teaching this way. And so I had to teach out of books that were just teaching muscle origin to insertion. And um, Jim Oshman, who wrote the book Energy Medicine, gave me an article by uh, Raymond Dart, who's Raymond Dart was a South African anthropologist who um, first recognized the town boy for what he was and came out with the whole Australopithecine man as hunter uh, image that starts the movie 2001 and is generally actually even still used by some of the, I understand some of your audience's paleo. Um, that will give me a chance to go after <laughs> the standard paleo stuff. Yeah, please go. And that's still in there in the paleo thing. Man is big hunter, go hit with bone. Right. Um, bring <laughs> um, this is really an outmoded idea of what. Uh, the paleo era, the upper Upper Paleolithic, or the Neolithic era looked like, and um, so <laughs> that's one thing we we have to contend with. But the uh, in order to teach anatomy, to get back to the anatomy trains, I just said uh, it was Raymond Dart. That was where it was. Um, he talked about how the rhomboids connected to the serratus anterior, connected to the external oblique, around to the pubic bone, and he called this the double spiral arrangement of muscles in man, because Raymond Dart, besides being an anthropologist, was also a student of the Alexander technique. So he, this was his way of anatomizing the Alexander technique. And my reaction to his article was, why stop there? Let's keep going. And so. Um, I started building this game, and it, it really was a game, and we called it the Anatomy Train's Game, which is how it got its sort of retro stupid name. Um, but what I was looking for are where are muscles connected through the fascial fabric, where the fascial fabric is going in the same direction as the muscles. Your fabric in your body, whether you're talking about muscular fabric or fascial fabric, it has a grain. It has a nap to it like fabric or wood. So you had to follow the, the rules of the game or you have to follow the grain. So, you can absolutely follow the grain from the serratus anterior around here to the external oblique, to the internal oblique on the other side. Um, And so, I just started tracking these things out. And it went from a game to being a system. And then it went from a system to I wrote it up in an article. And the article was so popular that they came and asked me to do a book. And pretty much my life has been about anatomy
0: trains ever since.
1: Awesome. But because it really took off as an idea.
0: What I really like about anatomy trains, what I was saying, is it's, it's starting the convergence of bringing life into the physical body or dissection. You know, it's like I, there's a, a poet, I'm spacing his name, but he said that, that in order to dissect something, you have to kill it. You know, and what we have been doing, except that unless, unless you're looking at like the initial dissections, which were vivisections, I believe, where you're actually cutting up in slaves, but so that's a different story. You know, but to dissect something, you need to destroy it first. You know, and so what we're doing is we're ending up c- killing these models, putting them up on the wall and trying to connect ourselves with that and finding the congruencies with these dead models, you know, and, but the fact of the matter is life, the living body is so much more dynamic than what we are projecting ourselves to be with the anatomy trains model. It's starting to bridge that gap. I feel of, oh, actually everything is connected and we can't throw out any of the packing peanuts of the faster this and that. Now, do you feel like that's impacted? Is that does that kind of make sense? You're, I see you kind of like slightly. Absolutely no, but <laughs> okay. it's, it's, worse,
1: it's worse than that. The the anatomy trains is a transitional map between the single muscle origin insertion action model and the kind of new agey. Well, everything is connected to everything else in this best of all possible worlds. Right. and. The new-agey stuff is actually true, right. but it's useless. Yes, everything is connected up, but that doesn't tell me where to start, when to stop, you know, what to do next. Yeah. Um, and the great thing about the single muscle theory, as I call it, the origin insertion action idea, is that it gives you a very clear idea of what's going. And that was a really good model. Just like Newton's model that the... Uh, Earth goes around the sun was a better model than Tycho Brahe's model just before him. Um, Kepler, Copernicus, whoever you want to take on uh, as, as switching this paradigm shift. But in point of fact, the sun isn't the center of the universe either. It isn't even the center of this galaxy and this galaxy is nowhere near the center of the universe. So it depends on where you want to stand. If you're standing on Earth and you're a caveman, the idea that the moon goes around the Earth and the sun goes around the Earth is a perfectly adequate concept. If you want to throw a satellite at Pluto and come so close to Pluto that you can take pictures of it, then you'd better not start with the idea that the Earth is the center of the universe. Now, if you want to train individual muscles, you can go on a Nautilus machine and train the quads. I train the quads for years by sitting down on a machine, putting a bar or a weight on my ankle and straightening my knee against resistance. Right. I build up strength in my quads that way. I find out how little strength I got in my vastus medialis every time I do that because it's always under toned and needs tone. However, every time you sit on that machine, you are training those single muscles at the expense of the rest of your body. Right. Let me explain. You don't use your quads sitting down unless you have a grandchild on your ankle that you are dandling up and down on your ankle. That is the only time you would use your quads that way. You use your quads when you're standing up, which means you're using the quads on my right side in conjunction with the deep lateral rotators I'm pointing to my butt on my left side. They're the ones who stabilize the SI joint on my left side while I'm kicking with my right side okay with that? But when when you're sitting down, you're not engaging those muscles. So you're making the quads stronger and stronger on this Nautilus machine while you make your body weaker and weaker. You predispose yourself toward a sacroiliac injury by not training the piriformis on the left side along with the quads on the right side. So single muscle training works as long as you're in single muscle land. But as soon as you stand up and start to do anything dynamic functional, you have to think in more whole body terms. So for me, the anatomy trains was a halfway in between map between the everything is connected to everything else, which is true but useless, and the single muscle theory, which is um, not true but useful. So it's a a dance in between. I'm sure, I, I think my next book will repudiate the anatomy trains because that's just one set of connections. I, I think it's a valid set of connections because it does follow the nap of the fabric. That just follows the grain of the fabric, as I said before. But we now know that muscles are connected sideways to each other, not just longitudinally, the way I did with the anatomy trains, but they're also connected sideways through Gil Headley's famous fuzz, um, a real or connective tissue. And uh the connections that are going on all over the body both on a neurological and a fascial level are things that we're really beginning to look at in a systemic way where we've looked at them in a particulate way before we look at the body i'm sorry just one more paragraph here Um, we look at the body as a machine we tend to look at the body out of the paradigm that we're using at the time that we describe the body so if you went to describe the body back in Descartes' time, or back in Leonardo da Vinci's time, when uh, nobody was thinking about machines, they would describe it in terms of plants. You look at the educational literature from the 1800s, all of education is described in how do we harvest these students, and how do we grow a mature... How does this ripen? they all the images that are being used in educational language are agricultural languages because we were living in an agricultural world. Now we live in an industrial world and think of how we describe the body. If I said heart to you, what would you say? Pump. If I said lungs, bellows, liver, factory, kidney, filter, brain, computer. Right. We, we just have described our body in terms of machines because we live in a machine like world. So we tend to describe the body in terms of machines. For instance, there weren't computers back in Descartes' time. The newest thing that they had, boy, the most sophisticated communication device was like the one that you use at the bank where you put the check in the thing and it goes and goes to the bank. These are called pneumatic systems. And they just discovered pneumatic systems back in Descartes' time. So he said, oh, the nervous system is a pneumatic system. You have heat on your finger and that message goes up the tube like those little messages going, you know, like those little containers going to the bank. Well, that's not totally wrong. Somehow nerves are kind of like that. Um, But your nervous system is always being described in terms of the most complicated machine that is available to you at the time that you're describing the brain. So the brain is a computer. No, the brain is a parallel processor. No, the brain is a hologram. No, the brain is, you know, whatever we get that it's more complicated, the brain is going to be described as that. Right. So we have to watch very carefully. If we're going to, it's it's Ida Rolf's thing, said, she said this to me, if you start out with grandpa's premises, you're going to end up with grandpa's conclusions because grandpa was pretty smart. So if you start with his or her premises, you're gonna end up with the same conclusion. So we have to start out with different premises. So my idea with the anatomy trains is if we start from the fascia, if we as a premise, where do we get to? Yeah. That's how it came about.
0: Yeah, I think it's you know it's like ignorance is bliss until you become limited and blinded and you're living life with a bucket over your head. You know, so we, we end up having this the, the we were, were you gonna say something?
1: Well, I was just gonna say let's let's be fair. Um, Physiotherapy is better than rolfers and yoga teachers in dealing with immediate injury. If I have just sprained my ankle, I don't want a rolfing session, I want some ice. If I have just torn my muscle, I want rest or compression or something. but the, where we shine and where the anatomy train shines and where this whole kind of holistic thinking is really necessary is when we're talking about chronic injury because chronic injury distributes itself throughout the body and may be lodged, you know, the problem in your SI joint might be lodged in your ankle, the problem in your knee may end up in your mid-back. Um So those kinds of things are not accounted for in regular physiotherapy and anatomy trains and other maps that are coming up are going to be better maps for chronic injury. Right.
0: Yeah. And so with that that simplification process, the reason I like anatomy trains, again, is because it's the convergence of bringing life into what's happening, but it's still a model, like you're saying. You know, I think if you are completely dependent on the spiral line, it's the spiral line or it's the lateral line, it's like you're still not getting the whole thing. You're still not completely integrated at that point when you're isolating these specific things. But it gives people something to chew on, which I think is fantastic. And so... uh, Yeah,
1: and I I hate to give my competition a a boost, but there is a book called Muscles and Meridians by Philip Beach. And he talks not about the anatomy trains, but about the lateral contractile field. And he came at it from acupuncture. And he was saying these acupuncture lines that go up the body are the lines along which you would withdraw from a noxious stimulus, from a, from a stimulus you didn't like. So if somebody pokes you in the side, you're going to ah pull that side away, and you're going to do that with the lateral contractile field. So that would include not only the outer muscles of my lateral line, but would probably include the psoas and the quadratus lumborum and the scalenes in the neck. So in a way, he was smarter in his way of thinking about it in terms of contractile fields. Um, In a way, mine is a smarter way to do it because it's easier to understand and easier to see and market. But um, I'm not sure the anatomy trains are functional holes in the brain. I think it's just another, I'm just another white man cutting up the body in a different way, hopefully in a helpful way. But it's just another white man doing his thing. Right.
0: Yeah. And if you look at as far as we've been, we've been comparing ourselves to to peripheral models since the, the beginning of humanness. The only difference is before in the past, human beings were a lightning storm or we were an antelope or we were a lion or we were, you know, something that was nature. You know, and if you're relating yourself to nature, you're still a powerful integrated structure. It's once we start integrating ourselves to a Chevy truck or integrating ourselves to a clock or a car or whatever, that's when we start dissecting this system. And that doesn't work very well when you want to fight MMA, when you want to dance in a ballet, when you want to start to really do you know do gymnastics, Olympic lifting, get into those movements that people are paying to watch. When people, when people are really fascinated by Cirque du Soleil, what they're watching is integration. You're saying, wow, these people have integrated their bodies to such a high level that it's, it's amazing to see. I'm seeing their emotional, physical expression all come out into this one beautiful unit. I'll pay 150 bucks to watch that for an hour. You know, so so how, from your perspective, you know, you you sometimes joke about yourself being like the, the New England male without lacking hip movement and all that. How do people start to integrate their hips? How do people start to integrate their emotional, physical cells? Because I think that's something, a topic that's, it's tough to grab onto, but it's something that people really need to sink their teeth into.
1: It's this idea that we used to live in an environment that was crafted primarily by nature, And now we live in an environment that we crafted ourselves. So that almost everything that I can see in your room, everything that you can see in my room, and I would include lawns and roads and things like this because they've all been crafted by the hands of man, you no longer walk or interact with things that are natural. I was watching, uh, somebody sent me a video this morning of somebody doing parkour. That's about as natural as you can get with an urban environment. And uh, it's great. I love watching parkour, and that may be a way to get uh, kinesthetic literacy. Given the fact that we are surrounded by our own selves, but you really have to get out there in the environment to find a place where you could. I've got to move.
0: Sorry. Oh no worries. Just this is great. I get I get a, I get a tour of the house. Like... <laughs> That's great. Fantastic. See yeah, if I can find a quiet place. Yeah, yeah, no worries. <laughs> Tom has a very, very nice house, everyone. I like the, co- <laughs> I like, the, I like the color scheme. It's very beautiful. That's okay, beautiful well, everyone. I will tell, I will tell Quan <laughs> that you like the color scheme. Okay.
1: Uh, here, let me see if I can get this. <laughs> I have a window in the background. There we go. Um. So the. Uh, So, the the world that we live in today is a world that we have created for ourselves, and that has taken away the demand on the body. You know, 12,000 years ago, we moved from hunter-gatherer to um, agricultural, and for most of those 12,000 years, the agricultural provided enough body stimulus to keep our bodies strong, to keep our bones solid, but now we are uh, what another guy... um, from the Paleo movement called Homo domesticus, um, yeah. and we, we have gone from Homo sapiens to being a domesticated human, and um, this problem was recognized in Rome. The poet Juvenal said, mens sana in corpore sano. So even back in 500 AD, they were saying, well, you know what, the children of nobles are doing so little work that their minds are going squishy. They need to go to the gym to keep their minds up. So the gymnasium started um, started actually in Greece, but it was brought up back up in Rome saying you noble guys have to go, even though you don't have to, you need to go to the gym to keep your body healthy because the environment was no longer providing the stimulus that keeps the body healthy. And now, this is not happening to a few nobles. This is happening to an entire generation of school kids. And we have to ask ourselves then, well, what constitutes kinesthetic literacy? What does every child have to know about their body? What movements should every child be able to do? We haven't mapped this out. We have no idea of the topography of kinesthetics. I I am... I was, as a child, a very awkward child, a very unathletic child, and um, got no help for that. I had two left feet for dancing, um, but I used to give—I used to give the camp counselors. I was sent away to summer camp when I was eight, and I used to give the camp counselors back rubs. They were called back rubs in those days. <laughs> and some other camper told me that I shouldn't do that; that it was queer. I was nine years old in Maine, I didn't even know what queer meant, but it sounded bad, so I stopped doing that immediately, and uh, didn't rediscover the amount of intelligence that I had in my hands until I ran into Ida Rolf at, at 23, and I really have actually very good kinesthesia in my hands. I still don't have good kinesthesia in my feet. I still have two left feet for dancing, I'm a lot more athletic than I was before, a lot more coordinated than I was before. Um, but there, we haven't even mapped out what this kind of kinesthetic intelligence is because I think there are some kids who have a whole lot of it, some kids who don't have it, and what is the topography? I have a lot in my hands, not so much in my hips and feet. Yeah. We, we don't have any idea about that. We, we know so much about vision. We know so much about the auditory world, um, but we know very little about the movement world
0: so far. And then right. that, that, another interesting piece on that is something that I heard you say one time that I thought was fantastic was uh, in order to really enjoy or get the most out of depression, you need to take on the posture of depression. You know, it's I, stole that. I stole that from Charlie Brown. Nice and work, peanuts. Charlie, and, and great, great steel tub. <laughs> <laughs> You know, I think that's such a crucial thing that people tap into it. I really just love Harper to this stuff because we need to recognize that we're playing from both angles here. You know, so if you can work with your body, you know, Ida also put you, we, we work with the body cause it's what we get our hands on. You know, if you can work with the body that can impact you, how you're feeling, your energetic levels, your hormonal levels, your whole physiology, same way nutrition can impact the way that you feel, which could impact your structure. You know, so I think that it's very possible to get lost, again, in this myopia of, it's got to be Rolfing, it's got to be Cairo, it's got to be fill in the blank, you know, but it's like, no, 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 it's all of it. All of it will feed to the top. We're all marching up the mountain, you know, so can you kind of get into a little bit of your perspective on this emotional, physical connection that might make people feel kind of uncomfortable?
1: Okay, let me, <sighs> let me get to that by continuing on from what we were talking about before. Sure. Everybody... In this movement realm now, think of the number of things from Traeger to Pilates to 18 different kinds of yoga to all the different kinds of exercise systems, TRX and those rings behind you and kinesis walls, everybody, you know, there's a new exercise system coming out every day. Um, All of these people are contributing to this idea that I was just talking about of kinesthetic literacy. What do we need to know about movement? We're just exploring that. And people come up to me and say, oh, I'm doing yoga, and it's 2,000 years old. And my answer to that is, how irrelevant? If it was 2,000 years old, it has nothing to say to, well, maybe nothing to say. Maybe it does have something very important to say. But just because it's 2,000 years old, we're in a new situation. We're in a situation nobody's ever been before. With all of our, with our kids, with ourselves, with our society, we've been—we're—we're we're not where we could say, "Oh yes, this martial arts thing will save the world," or "This yoga thing will save the world," or yoga will, uh, Rolfing will, or whatever. But I got inspired by Ida Rolf. Other people get inspired by Joseph Pilates. Other people get inspired by Milton Traeger. Other people by Moshe Feldenkrais, or whoever in whatever world that you're in. But these are like shoots coming out of the forest floor. Over the next fifty years. All these shoots will bind together into one big tree, the movement tree. The kinesthetic literacy tree is what I'm calling it right now. Um, But in any case, movement is going to be studied, and all of these things will grow together. The yogas, the um, personal training things, the Olympic athletes, they will all grow together into one big tree. And so the practitioner that you will be teaching at the end of your career will be a multi-level practitioner who will have all kinds of things under their belt. Um, and will understand movement in a much more holistic way than we do. So when you get inspired by Ida Rolf, Joseph Pilates, whoever you got inspired by, the tendency is to think, that's the one I came out of my rolfing training with, ah, no, I'm going to save the world with my new skills as a rolfer. Well, two or three years into that, you're going to run into the limits of your training. I don't care how good your training was. However good your training was, you're going to run into the limits of that training within two, three, five years at most you then have a choice. You can make it everybody else's fault that this isn't working or you can understand that your approach is limited and that you need to go find and incorporate and include and integrate other approaches. Um, The people who do the former, who make it their client's problem, are doomed to repeat the same thing over and over again with the same type of people. If you like that kind of life, go right ahead. You can make a lot of money that way. Um, But... uh, I was frustrated with myself, and so, therefore, I went back and just studied and kept studying and kept studying, and although I I really do credit Ida Rolf with giving me useful work to do, um, I have modified it with my studies in osteopathy, my studies in movement, my studies in energetics, and then, of course, more recently, all this fascial research that's going down.
0: And I pr- I presume Ida would be quite proud and you know happy that you are evolving the work and that we are you know that we are taking what she started and continuing to, to evolve it as opposed to you know maintaining this static model and putting it up on a shelf and worshiping it for the you know eternity. Pain. Well, you can pretty
1: much go. You I would, can pretty much go to the bank that ten years after the death of the founder, there will be a group that wants to keep it the way it was when the founder died and another group who wants to change. Now I would definitely be on the side of those who want to change because I watched Ida and I watched Ida evolve even after the few short years that I knew her towards the end of her life. Um, And so I would imagine that she would want this thing to evolve. I know she wanted three schools of rolfing in the agreement that she gave to when she turned the name over to the institute there were supposed to be three different schools and i know she wanted that because she knew within her own lifetime that this work could be applied in a more psychological way it could be applied in a more osteopathic way it could be applied in a more functional way and so you need these different laboratories to have these things develop if it's all happening in one school then it tends to get uh, very myopic and self-referencing
0: right so in relation to the psychological aspect, something I'm curious about from your, your perspective on pain, so something that I've heard you say is pain, I have it written down, pain is sensation accompanied by motor intention to withdraw. So that's a definition. That's great. Um, is there some way that we can kind of elaborate upon what pain is in our systems? I don't think anyone really truly knows exactly what pain is. Um, is, can we kind of dig into that a little bit and, and maybe create some actionable tips for folks that are in pain? You know, How do we start chipping away at this thing and really understand it?
1: Well, I've been um, taken to task for my statements on pain by the, what I call the neurocentrists who say that pain perception is all in the central nervous system. Um, and I absolutely will acknowledge the central nervous system effects here, but listen, if I have an itch out on my shoulder, I don't scratch my central nervous system. I scratch my shoulder and the itch goes away. That itch is going up the nociceptic tracks. That itch is is perceived as a pain. However, putting my hands on the external or surface source of that pain is enough to stop the signal going up and being interpreted in my head. Now, uh the people who take me to task this way go on the international society for the study of pain or international association for the study of pain i believe it is the isp definition and i hate that you can look it up i hate their definition i think it's very vague and not very exacting at all um... so i'm not going to accept this kind of thing i absolutely accept that the central nervous system is involved in pain mediation and you can have a small stimulus producing a huge pain if it has an association a psychological association in the brain Um, and you can have a very large thing producing small pain, sometimes because of the physiology and sometimes because of the psychology. However, um, that, that definition, I really like that definition because it's absolutely phenomenological. It's right there. Pain is sensation. In other words, it's a feeling, and that feeling, if it's going to be painful, is always accompanied by the motor intention to withdraw. So let me talk to the practitioners for a minute, and then I'll talk uh, to what you asked me for, which is, what about the people who have me? Um, in a practitioner, you can usually see that right here. I have to get this thing right right up by the side of the eye is where I first see the motor intention to withdraw. So as long as I can see the corner of the eye of my client, if I am laying in with my elbow on their iliotibial tractor or whatever, I... Um, and I'm going to be out there at the edge of sensation, at the edge of their standable sensation, then I look at the corner of the eye. When they start to crinkle at the corner of the eye, that is generally in the body the first motor act of the motor intention to withdraw. The person might know it's good for them, so they're saying, oh, yes, no pain, no gain. You go ahead and get it. But if I'm looking at their eye and seeing they're scrunching up, I know that they're tensing against what I'm doing, and I'm not going to get the result that I want. I'm putting pain into the body when I do that. I'm imposing pain on the body. I really do not want to impose pain on the body. I want to expose, expunge, call out, evoke the pain from the body, but... If I am creating sensation with the motor intention to withdraw, that person's attention is drawing away from what I'm doing and not staying with what I'm doing. So from the old days when I used to just get in there, as I was taught by Ida, get in there with my elbow and damn the torpedoes full speed ahead and get as much done as you can in an hour. I don't do that anymore. I'm watching very closely what I see and I am working within the person's tolerance for pain. (laughs) Now, anybody who's out there who's got pain most of the time, not all the time, most of the time pain is a an indication of tissue damage or problems in that tissue. That however does not at all say that the that that's where the source of the pain is. So pain in your knee could be sourced in your back, could be sourced in your ankle, could be sourced in your neck. Well, that's not very helpful, is it? Well, the anatomy trains are one way of giving a map to those to what other thing could be sourced there. Um, But if someone has a long-term pain in their body, they can tackle this through those neurological physiotherapists as a central nervous system event, or they can attack it as a peripheral event. And uh, once again, I think if you're just on one side of that equation, you're not going to have it right. Um, Because some really are mediated in the nervous system and really should be with somebody who understands those pain mechanisms, can work with it on a psychomotor level and sometimes it really is that that arch is collapsing in every time and creating a pain up the inside of the leg and and it really is a biomechanical thing that can be dealt with from the outside. That puts it more in our
0: domain. Yeah. So for folks that are not body workers or in that realm at all, this is analogous to having a conversation with somebody. You know, Everyone guards their ideas really well with their life. You know, you tell somebody about how they feed their baby or something like that. It's like, I know how to feed my baby. You know, even if they're not necessarily feeding them the best thing, you know, if you can come in with a conversation expressed to them to the point that they're not contracting, then you can start to open up this story and really communicate and connect with their nervous system. It's all connected with nervous system, you know? And so it was same thing with the body work. If you put too much pressure, too fast, contract, guards come up, you're out, you're done. You know, and so I think that just to kind of bring that into something like, well, I'm never going to put my elbow into somebody, you know, it's like, well, this relates to freaking everything. You know, it's it's all communication between nervous systems. So do you agree with I, that? I just,
1: just, one, just one note here. I do do that. I do put my hands into places that are very painful and I kind of have this, okay, bite on this stick or I count it down, three, two, one, I'm done. When I have to go into an area that is traumatized, that pain, and the pain people really get after me for this, that pain is stored in the body. Uh, their idea is that pain would couldn't be stored in the body. It's only in the central nervous system. So maybe I'm talking an analogy here. I don't care, but I find it in the body. That pain is stored somewhere, and if you touch that area, you can bring the pain up and the emotionality of the pain up. And if you're skillful in the way that you can do that, you can expunge that pain from the body. Again, I'm calling that, uh, to the delight of the neurocentrist, pain leaving the body, which they find to be a very dangerous idea, but I find to be my daily experience is if I'm, cl- if I'm clever and good and thorough in my work, then the person is going to leave without that pain but they may they may have to feel i don't know i don't i'm not enough of a philosopher or a neurologist to answer this question but my experience in my practice is people need to feel that pain on the way out Mm. if you've got something that's very emotionally tied up that's tied up to a piece of history that has real value for people the way they feed their baby right that has real emotional value don't tell me i'm doing it wrong right um but if it has emotional value for somebody, they'll be holding on to it, and there will be this kind of bubble of pain as this thing comes up and leaves the body. Mm. So I'm willing. It's not. I, I have a complicated relationship with pain and my clients. It's not that I am unwilling for them to feel pain. Clients do feel pain when I'm working on them, but I'm. I, I titrate it very carefully. I want it to be useful pain. There is no use for stupid pain. Right. So and I.
0: When I first started to work, I think I was inflicting stupid pain with right. what I was doing. So I kind of view it as, you know, the, the body kind of like a, a, a pond and a pump system, you know, and so if you have crinks in the hose with the pump, then you're I think that likely will manifest as pain or discomfort or kind of funny lookingness. You know, and so as we as body workers or PTs or whatever's what our job or just humans in general our job is to, is to uncrink all those hoses to get that energy, if you want to call it that, or blood or lymph or anything to move and circulate. You know, and Once you can get that circulation happening, then things don't stick. You know, I think that that's what all of our job is as human beings, Like that's the path to enlightenment, is get our system moving enough so that we are constantly moving through this cycle does that kind of make sense ish to you at all?
1: Paracelsus, who was an ancient physician, very celebrated physician, said, "There is but one disease, and its name is congestion." Yeah So whenever you have stasis, the, the, the other old saw that I would pull out is the Islamic proverb, which is: "Water still, poison. water moving, life." so as long as the water in your body is moving that's serving life when the water in your body stops moving that serves infection inflammation stasis toxicity Um, and people think oh well as long as i keep hydrating myself well most of that water is going along familiar pathways between your stomach and your bladder. The question with hydration is to get it to go down the unfamiliar pathways. So their yoga can be very helpful, body work can be very helpful, any of these things can be very helpful to squeeze an unusual part of the sponge. Yeah. And that's yeah. what we're doing when we go in with bodywork is to squeeze a part of the sponge that the person doesn't normally squeeze. Right. Right. Um yeah. but yeah, go ahead. Yeah,
0: yeah, yeah. And I think the, the bodywork is 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 amazing, you know, but it's it's also not where it stops because it's it's too passive. You know, I think that body work is really helpful to get the system rebooted, but then you gotta run the vehicle. You know, and it's like if you just lay there on a table and reboot, you know, your your, your gluteal tissue or whatever once a week from your whoever, you know, that's something, but you still haven't turned the lights on in that space. You know, I think that that's the most crucial thing is, is is dancing, movement, martial arts, just running through the woods, being moved by nature. Are you going to say something? I'm going to
1: object to that can't happen on the table. It can happen on the table. A reboot that really makes a difference um, and that stays with the person, that kind of repatterning can happen on a table. But for many people, you're absolutely right. It's going to have to be put in because people's lives don't put sufficient demand on the body to keep it healthy.
0: Right. It can happen on a table, but it's not going to stick unless they change your lifestyle.
1: Well, but what I'm saying is I've seen changes on the table that were so profound that it made people make changes in their lifestyle without further input.
0: No, I yeah I compl- I'm completely on board. But nonetheless, it needs to relate into lifestyle. Whether the impetus is large enough to overflow into their their life, that's the most crucial thing. So education, I think, is the most crucial component. Is do we understand what's happening here, or maybe maybe you don't even need to understand. It could just it could just spill over and just happen. But for the vast majority, it's the education of okay. Now what do I do? What's next? How do I fish?
1: Mm-hmm. And I have to see the I have to see the value in it before I'm going to take it. I. I love my wife dearly but she is subject to nutritional fads and so she's always passing me the next supplement that i have to take and and i'm her little experiment and i cheerfully submit to the experiment but honestly i can feel some of the things and i can't feel others and i'm gonna keep with the ones that i can feel and the ones that i can't feel after a little while i'm gonna say well no i don't actually need to take any more of this for my thyroid (laughs) or something um and, uh, it's, I don't know whether the ones that I feel are, that's a false feeling or the ones that I'm not feeling, maybe they're doing me a world of good, but I just can't feel it. But unless you feel it, you're not going to stick with it. Right. So, uh, the things that I do on the table that are good ideas, but the person doesn't feel they don't stick. Totally. Uh, the things where the person goes through an actual cathartic experience and comes out on the other side, those things are likely to stay whether they do anything about it after the session or not. Right.
0: So we're running low on time. There's a couple other things I really want to talk about. We're probably not going to have time for both. Uh, but one of which is tissue hydration. So, one of the things that I've, I've heard you mention before was uh, we start out, you know, fertilized ovum is like 98% water. And then you come out and a newborn baby is like 90% water or something like that. And then adults are like 70 to 80 or whatever, 67 to 70 something, I think you said. People say I'm, all I'm sorts getting, of numbers. I'm getting older, so that
1: number is steadily it, it, dropping. It changes, as you get right? Able
0: to. Yeah. So I want to talk about, firstly... I think there's confusion as far as like how much water we need to drink. I think the most important, I was talking to Gil Headley about this as well, is the most important thing is where's that water circulating to? And you kind of got at this already, you know, but like how, what is the most important thing with water? You know, how do we rehydrate our tissue in the first place? And what is the aging process?
1: I'm going to leave the last one alone. The aging process is an amazingly complicated piece in terms of our musculoskeletal, fascial body. Right. Uh, aging can be seen as a process of drying out. Uh, however, there are lots of neurological things that go along in that process, which I just and then genetic and nutritional and stuff that I just am not qualified to even comment on. Sure, um, but definitely you see the responsiveness, just generally the bioplasticity of the body reduces as people get older. And, uh, I'm 66 now and I bounce around pretty well and I'm, I'm pleased with my ability to slow down that process. I haven't been able to stop it from losing the hair off my top of my head, but, um, you do what you can. And, uh, the, so I'm sure that the process of aging can be slowed down by an intelligent program of nutrition and exercise and and maybe psychology but i don't think it can be avoided until we figure out what to do with the telomeres uh that slowly break down as you age and um who is it ray kurtzweil talks about us being immortal by the year 2047 i'll be 98 by then i think i'll just let that body die and make the next body immortal (laughs) but uh your children by the year 2047 may have a choice whether they're going to die or not or whether they're going to store themselves in a computer or whether they're going to trade in their body for a different body. That may be within this century a choice that people are making and that, that would fundamentally change our attitude to death and our attitude towards life and our body. All right, now let's go back to the, the hydration idea. Yeah. You only need yeah. 210 milliliters of water per day. So drinking bottle and bottle and bottle after water might make it a little easier on your kidneys, Uh, it might be a good thing for you, but honestly, you don't need all that water. You're just pouring it out of Dasani bottles and then putting those Dasani bottles on the landfill, and you're taking it and putting it into a toilet bowl and mixing it up with three gallons of water and putting it out in a septic field. It is kind of a stupid process that way. Um, And... Uh, there are people who say that unless you're drinking actual water, it doesn't count if you drink tea or you drink juice. I don't get that. There's water inside the juice and the tea and milk and whatever I'm drinking, and I should think all of that water content would count. But, again, I'm not a nutritionist to do this. But what I can say is if you think of those scrubbies that you get for your kitchen that are yellow and green, that the yellow part is a sponge and the green part is a scotch bright kind of scubby, scrubby, scrubby. Now, imagine that the green stuff has gone all the way through the sponge so that they both occupy the same kind of space. Well, then I could take that thing and I could put it in the water, squeeze it out, put it in the water, take, take, uh, let my hand go in the water, and the sponge would suck up water from the sink, right? Are you with me? I'm with you. I'm but it would you. only suck up as much water as the green stuff would allow it to do because that could stop the sponge from getting fully full. If, if the green stuff was a little tighter than the sponge was, I could let it go in the water, but it would only suck up as wa- much water as the green stuff let it do. Yeah. Now, in your body, the green stuff is the fascia, the collagen fiber part of the fascia, and the yellow sponge is the glycosaminoglycans or uh, these mucopolysaccharides, which are very complicated words for snot, and snot pulls water into it. So the spongy part is like the snotty part of our fascia, and the scotch-brite, the scrubby part is the collagen part of our fascia. And the collagen part of our fascia, here's the punchline, the collagen part of our fascia is always tighter than the sponge. So when you cut your body we think, oh, this part swells up because the body's pushing water in there to bring in the histamines and the rest of the stuff that the body needs. But in point of fact, when you cut this, you're cutting the scrubby part and the sponge fills up with more water. It sucks in more water. It doesn't push in more water. So the fascia of your body is always restricting your body from how much water is going to come in there, which is an interesting thing. Because we always think, oh, we want more water in there, we want more water in there. But your fascia is designed to keep the sponge at a halfway or a somewhat filled idea. Yeah. The trouble comes when you don't move an area of the body. And you can do yoga every day, you can do Pilates every day, you can roll up and down on a roller every day. You're still going to have corners of your body where you're not getting water in. That's where a good yoga teacher or a good body worker or somebody else from the out, a good personal trainer, can look at you from the outside and say, you're not moving here. Let's do this exercise to make sure you're moving your piriformis, that you're moving into full hip extension, that you're moving whatever it is that you're not moving. And that's a great thing of having somebody look from the outside, whether that somebody is a body worker or a yoga teacher or a personal trainer. They're looking from the outside. And they can see the places where you're not moving. You don't do very well at seeing the places where you're not moving because you're not moving there, you're not seeing it, you're kind of blind to your own blind spots, if you understand what I'm saying. Yeah. So having somebody like you or somebody like me look at these things from the outside and get it moving, that is really good for hydration. I'm sorry, just one more. No, no, no. The last thing for hydration, the last thing that's so important for hydration is rest. If you're using, you know, I go out running for 40 minutes uh, most mornings and I'm doing the barefoot running thing. So I'm bouncing along on the um, ball of my foot. And uh, over that four miles, I'm squeezing tissue out of my, I'm squeezing the water out of my tissues. And in the period after I stop while I'm having a shower and getting ready and, for work and doing my morning emails or something like that that's a rest time and the tissue is sucking the water back in and in the process of sucking that water back in it's sucking in new nutrition new messenger molecules new cytokines whatever it needs um so that squeezing the sponge and opening it up squeezing the sponge and opening it up is really good that's um what we're looking for with the exercise but if you keep going if you are doing these ultra marathons where you're doing you know 50 miles a day or doing 125 miles in a, in a few days, you're gonna dry out parts of your body because you're simply gonna be you're gonna be using them so much. You're gonna squeeze the tendons dry. You're gonna squeeze the ligaments dry. You're gonna squeeze ter- certain tissues dry. And then if you keep operating on them, dry tissues injure themselves.
0: And so I'd just like to add with that, if possible, when we're going to see body workers or doctors or PTs, hopefully we see these people as teachers guiding us, shining the flashlight on these areas that we didn't necessarily feel in the first place so that we can occupy them ourselves. And then from there, there's gonna be some new places that you don't know how to occupy. Then you pay some money perhaps and go see somebody else. You know, but we, I think that it's very crucially important that we see these people as guides so that we can better occupy ourselves and inhabit our bodies in a more kinesthetically fluent fashion. You know, and then the other thing that you said was, was, was jogging or, or, you know, ballistically moving, you know, developing the, the crimp, developing the, the, the tensegrity of our connective tissue. We become how we move.